Guys, welcome up Kyle, guys. Uh. Kyle's over here. Hello. You just set it down. I don't like being on stage, so is it okay if I stand down here? No. Why do I give you guys options? <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, it, you know, if I had the ginger power to make people's phones implode, that would be pretty cool. I'd totally do that. Totally do that. Well, I was like thinking about how awkward it would be to follow up his prayer with my prayer, and along the lines of that, I was like, you know, I'm just going to do it anyways. So let's pray one more time, and uh, let's do it. Father God, uh, I'm thankful for just the worship team. I'm thankful to, to watch these young men and women learn and just grow in their abilities that you've given them to lead us in worship. And Lord, uh, I'm just thankful for the ability to worship because not every country or city and can do that. Is it some places it's outlawed and some places you can get killed for it. And so Lord, I pray that we don't waste that opportunity today, whether it's worshiping through having a conversation, through music, through studying your scripture, through prayer today. I pray that we take advantage of that and that your Holy Spirit falls upon this place. And Lord, I pray that you're with these students today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, it's good to see you guys. I've had kind of an interesting week. Um, my name is Kyle, by the way. I don't think I know you two guys. Can I meet you just real quick? This is totally awkward. Hi. Your cousins? I am so sorry to her. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Tyler. So you're her cousins? Wow. I wouldn't tell most people that, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> Taylor, we love you. I was just kidding. I'm bad with names, and I meet people all the time that they've told me that I've met them before, and I apologize. I'm sorry. I apologize. I go back and forth between high school and middle school, and I do that all the time. They're just like, I've been here for a year. I was like, dang it. <laughs> so I apologize. It's okay. I get welcomed every weekend to Cornerstone. I did it. This happened this weekend. This woman's like, hey, would you like a program? I was like, no, I wrote some of the stuff in there. And she's like, well, welcome to Cornerstone. I was like, oh, I didn't get that how that works. But anyways, good, good to see you again for the 10th time, apparently. Well, anyways, like I was saying, I had, I had kind of a weird week. I moved into my new house, which I'm excited about, uh, not too far down the lane. And I was thankful for the guys who helped me move, even though I got a washing machine to the face. Everyone's been asking. <laughs> it was pretty sweet. It was pretty sweet. Lifting it up the stairs, the washing machine fell and hit me in the face. And then my son's like, what's that? All day long. What is that? What is it? He's two, so he's kind of funny. Um, and then I've been doing this uh, fasting thing for Lent. I don't know if any of you guys are doing that. I've been doing that for about seven days. It's been very hard. A couple of the guys and I are doing it, Colton and I and Joseph. And Joseph has been very grumpy about it. Very grumpy. Doesn't sound like a man who's grumpy, apparently. He is very grumpy about it. And I, one of the best things about having a dog is I have terrible gas right now because of all this vegetables. And when you own a dog, you you always oh, a dog. <laughs> And so my poor wife, like, we've been eating dinner, and it's either I blame it on my baby, <laughs> because he poops, and it's not, very, it's not very good, the stuff he eats, you know, or the dog. And so it's like, my wife has now caught on because they've been smelling the same, because I've been eating the same foods, you know, like broccoli and carrots. And she's like, okay, the baby is upstairs, and the dog is outside. You are farting, sir. And I'm just like, yeah, you caught me about it. So that's when... <laughs> So it's been kind of interesting, all this stuff happening. Got some cool neighbors, and uh, just been thankful for a, a lot of things. And then I've been studying this um, uh, 40 Days in the Word series, and we talked a lot on Sunday about some of the phrases. And do you guys remember some of the phrases we talked about? And I kind of taught them. Could you maybe shout out one or two of them? Or? Fornication. We did talk about fornication. You are right. And I found out that a lot of you guys don't know what that is, and you can see me after out that if you'd like to know about that. But what are some of the other things we, we learned about? I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. 
That's true. You oh, know, that's right. I, and it's not something I brought up, but if you've ever heard the term, I'll pray for you, we, we basically said it was a lazy term for Christians to say, I don't want to pray for you now, so I'm just going to tell you I'm going to pray for you later, and I'm going to do nothing about it. And so we all kind of came to the conclusion that's pretty accurate. And so we came also to the second conclusion. If you're going to pray for someone, just pray for them right then. Don't tell me you're going to pray for me because I'm assuming you're not. And then we talked about amen, which a lot of people didn't know. It just meant truly you're agreeing with someone else. And so we're kind of talking about some lingo, some phrases of the Bible that maybe are either used a lot or kind of churchy terms or stuff that you hear a lot and maybe you don't know, really know where it came from. Any others do you guys remember? Bless their heart. That was a good one. That one's like an ugly baby term. Oh, bless that baby's heart. He's so ugly. You know, it's terrible. Any other ones that you guys remember? Talked about grace as well. That was a big one with you guys. And so we talked about a lot of these things. I'll put some of them on the board. We talked about fear, about having to be fearful of the Lord, but not like he's an angry God up in heaven throwing lightning bolts and stuff at you, but fear more means awe, being in awe of God. We also talked about Satan and the devil about how he's not just a force, like Star Wars sort of deal, and he's not an angry dude with a, in red tights with a pitchfork and horns on his head. He's not that type of dude either. We talked about amen. Uh, we talked about sin. It's something that is hard to describe, but we all have it, and Paul tells us, for all have fallen short of the glory of God and all have sinned. We talk about ask Jesus in your heart, how that's kind of a step. It's not really a ending point. We talked about atonement, which was kind of a big word, talked about how Jesus atoned for us. And then we also talked about being holy, which is one of the hardest things to be. Only God is holy, and so we are trying to be like him. And then I told you that I would tell you about something that Jesus talks about more than anything else in the Bible. Does anybody want to guess at what it is? It's okay if you don't know. Nick, what do you think? What is it? Money's number two. Jesus talks about money or possessions the second most in the Bible. He's either talking about money specifically, your possessions, or things that keep you from this other thing. Anybody else guess? It's okay if you guess wrong. Most people don't know what it is, and honestly, most churches don't talk about it, which is very weird. It's the phrase that Jesus uses and talks about the most. You won't find the actual phrase in the Old Testament, but the concept is there. What do you think? It is. It's the kingdom of God. Good job. It is the kingdom of God. The thing that Jesus talks about more than anything else is the kingdom of God. Have you ever heard that phrase in church? A preacher say it. Have you heard a preacher preach a sermon on it? Can, you, can I see hands? Four of you? There are about 43 of you here, and six of you have heard about it maybe? It's kind of sad. Do you know what it means, the kingdom of God? If you do, please tell me because it is a hard subject. I'm going to do my best today. What do you think? The church. The church. Okay, that's one answer. Yeah, for sure. The church, it's kind of like the body of people. The kingdom of God is mentioned about a hundred times in the New Testament, and I think all but about two or three times it comes on the lips of Jesus himself. And so it's a very Jesus-centered, he is bringing this. It's not something, again, that you'll find in terms of the phrase kingdom of God in the Old Testament, but the idea is there. So I brought a book with me. Uh, it's a purple book, so don't judge me. <clears throat> it's a purple book. It's called uh, King Arthur. I used to live in England. I lived in England for about five years. Nick, I'm going to bring this back to you. Don't worry. Ooh, capo. I lived in England for five years when I was between the ages of five and ten. And uh, my dad was in the Air Force. I see this guy with the Air Force jacket over here. And basically, when you go around England, there are a lot of castles. 
Lots of places in Ireland and Scotland and England. There's a lot of castles there. Not so much in America. We don't really have castles. Unless you go to Disneyland. That doesn't count. That's the magic magic kingdom. (laughs) But we don't really know what it means to have a kingdom. There was pretty much only one time in our history where we had a king, and that didn't go so well. You know, we had the king of England, and we kind of overthrew him, didn't we, to become Americans. But we don't really know what it is to have a kingdom or to have a king over us. America's more about presidents. England still has a queen. Even though they have a parliament and stuff like that, they, they still have kingdom stuff that they talk about. It's not the same. They don't have, like, knights and stuff like that. And I love King Arthur because there's so many great, great stories in here. There's Lancelot and the Green Knight. I mean, there's all these great stories about men fighting in armor and lances and, and rescuing damsels in distress. There's all this romantic language, and kingdoms are kind of romantic. But kingdoms are also very political. Because if you have one kingdom on one side and one kingdom on the other, most of the time one's got to try to overtake the other. Kingdoms are usually big things with walls, and they have a king inside them. They have subjects inside them. And King Arthur was one of those rare guys that was, you know, good. He, he looked for the good of his people, and he cared for people. And so I always love stories of that. And so this is one of my favorite books. It was given to me as a kid. I still read it. I love the stories and stuff like that of it. But the Bible also talks about kingdoms. In fact, in the Old Testament, God was the king of his people, and he was the one who would rule them. And then one day they asked for a king, a person, and God didn't want that. And then they gave him who? Who did, who did God give them as their king? Does anybody know? Saul. Saul. Didn't work out so well. Kings are not like a, a man-ordained thing. Eventually it did happen. He found King David and stuff like that. But the kingdom of God which we're going to talk about, is very, very simple. I'm going to give you some of the phrases. It appears over 100 times in the New Testament. I'm going to give you about 20 to help you understand what the kingdom of God is. It's very simple, in quotation marks. So these are either on the lips of Jesus, they're phrases that he's saying, or they're parts of parables that he's talking about the kingdom of God. These are either things you need to do to get in, things you can't do, or what the kingdom is like. Listen to this. So the kingdom of God belongs to children, It belongs to the poor. Dead prophets live in it. It can't be observed. It's near. It's coming. It's hard for rich people to get in. There will be signs that it's coming near. You have to be born again to get in. You need to repent to get in. It's rewarding now, but it's also eternal. It's here. You can't accept it unless you're like a little child. It's taken away from those who don't produce fruit. Some people saw it before Jesus died. Others see it after Jesus lived. It's Jesus' purpose. People like John, who Jesus describes is the best born among men and women, people like John are the least in the kingdom of heaven. You can't look back to your old life if you want to live in it. It's a feast. Pretty simple, right? No, not at all. You have to be born again. It's hard for rich people to get in. It's here, but it's coming. It's eternal, but it's already here. I mean, some of these things don't make sense, and yet it's the thing that Jesus talks about the most, so you would think it would be pretty important. And the kingdom of God is something that is really hard to describe. And I've been studying this, and, you know, I was talking to Joseph about it, is I don't feel ready to preach this sermon because it is such a big concept, but it's something that, as followers of Jesus, we must get. Because if Jesus talked about this more than anything else, and you had only one thing to get from Jesus, this might be it. 
the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells a couple parables about it. He says, the kingdom of God, and he says this phrase, is like. And he tells these very simple parables that everyone's supposed to get. And this is what he says. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and buried it. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. The kingdom of God is like a treasure. The dude buried in a field that wasn't his. He sold all his possessions, and then he bought that field. What a weird way to describe the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a scattered seed on the ground that grows, and no matter what the man does, he doesn't know how it grows. It just keeps growing. And then when it is finally ripe, the man harvests it. It doesn't sound much like kingdom talk at all. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that is planted and grows into a large tree where birds make nests in it. And it's also like a yeast, like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened and the bread began to rise. So are you guys as thoroughly confused as I am? It's here. It's not here. You can't see it. You won't know when it's here, but you know it's here now. It happened before Jesus died. Some people saw it. It's still to come after Jesus was resurrected. It's like a mustard seed. It's like a treasure buried in the sand. It's totally confusing, thoroughly confusing. And yet Jesus talks about this confusing subject more than anything else in the Bible. And I think there's just one parable that helps illustrate it. And in fact, Jesus kind of explains it in as much a way as he can. And I'm going to read it to you in just a second. It's the parable of the sower. And I'm going to read it for you. <clears throat> so, Let's see. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there. While the whole crowd began to crowd around the sea and the land, he began to teach them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, so Jesus, when he teaches in parables, they're kind of like riddles. But they're the opposite of what a riddle is supposed to do. A riddle is supposed to confuse someone so you don't get the answer. When Jesus tells parables... He tells it in such a way that you're interested enough that you want the answer. You want to find out what it is. And if you're close to Jesus, you can find out the answer because God will speak to you. So some people get this right away, and others do not. So this is what he said. He said, listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell upon the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, since it had no depth. When the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up, they choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. So there's only good seed on good soil that produces a good crop. And it outgrows all the other crops by far, 30, 60, 100 times as much. Again, Jesus is using a farming analogy, something that the people would understand at that time. But again, he doesn't say much about the kingdom here. He's talking about plants. I thought he was a carpenter, not a gardener. He said, let anyone with ears listen. So Jesus tells the parable, he's finished. He's like, that was easy to understand. It's totally like how the kingdom of God was. And I love this part about the Bible because the closest people to Jesus don't know what the crap he's talking about. 
okay? It's true. So this is what happened. When he was alone, those who were around him, along with the 12, asked him about the parables, along with the 12. Okay, Jesus, we've been hanging around a while. We've seen you do some sweet stuff. You've been exercising demons, totally great. Dude, the water and the wine thing, you're still going to be mentioned at parties. It's going to be great. So he's done some great things, but the, the disciples are thoroughly confused about this sowing thing. Dude, Jesus, just spit it to us plain, man. Why you got to make it hard? Don't talk about farming. I'm not a farmer. I'm a fisherman or something like that. And so he starts to talk about it. And he says to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Well, thanks. Could you tell me the secret that I apparently know that I don't know? But for those outside, everything comes in parables, in order they may indeed look, but not perceive. And he goes on and he kind of makes this little riddle about people who know me will understand my parable. People who don't, they won't understand it. In fact, they'll turn away from me, because they'll be kind of pissed that they don't understand what I'm talking about, and they'll turn away. And so this is what he says. He explains the parable to these people. He says, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the other stuff I've talked to you about? So here he goes to explain it. The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. When they hear the word, Satan immediately comes and takes the way to word that is sown. He's talking about people now. It's not about plants. It's about people. Satan immediately comes and takes the word away from them, okay? And these are the ones who are sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, immediately. But then they have no root, and they endure only for a while. Then when the trouble or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others who are those who are sown among thorns, these are the ones who hear the word, but because of the cares of the world, their desires for richness and wealth and lust, they come in and choke the word out of their heart, and it comes to nothing. And then there are those who ones that are sown on good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. So Jesus is talking about people now. And he's using this kingdom language because he says the kingdom of God is in you. That's what Jesus said. He says those people, when they hear the good news about me, it's usually either one of three or four things that happen. Some people just reject it outright. Sun comes and scorches them. Satan does something and just takes it away immediately. Those people, they can't bear the good news. Some people accept it right away. Dude, this Jesus guy sounds awesome. He's wearing sandals and togas and stuff like that. You know, he does one of these deals, you know. He makes food appear out of nowhere. The dude drinks wine. I want to be in a religion that lets me drink wine all the time. <laughs> you know, I'm totally cool with that. But then what happens is it's shallow. Those kind of people don't have any roots. They don't really, they just, they like the shiny things, you know, at church or wherever they go to. And they have got no roots. So when persecution or something happens to them, the first thing they ditch is God. Those people aren't good. And then the people who are in the thorns, you know, they're choked up right away. They can't accept it. But the people in the kingdom of God are the ones that bear fruit that far outshine anything else. 30, 60, 100 times what is planted. So imagine planting one seed and getting 100 trees from it. It just doesn't make sense, right? One seed, one tree. But God says, no, no, no. 
The stuff that I plant multiplies and multiplies. It just keeps growing and keeps growing. In fact, in another one of the talents, God gets kind of mad if it doesn't multiply. He tells this parable of the talents where he entrusts a little bit of money to one guy, a little bit less to the next guy, and a little bit less to the last guy. First guy, like, doubles his profit. Second guy does the same. The third guy, fear of losing the money. If you ever hold a $100 bill, I'm just always afraid of losing it. I'm like, oh, you know, because I don't get old that very often. So sometimes when you have money, you just hold on to it, and you're like, I just want to frame it and put it up, you know. And this last guy in this parable of the talents buries it. And the master comes back and he says, what the heck? I can imagine him going like this. Hey, the other guys, they invested my money and now there's more. You buried it in the ground. He's pissed about it. Is it about the money in this? No, it's totally not about the money. The thing is, when you're given something and you invest it in the right area, it will multiply. And so he's mad at this dude because he buries it in the sand. And that guy gets thrown out. So Jesus tells a lot of parable, and I think this parable of the sowers is one of the most important because it talks about the kingdom of God. You see, at the time, there were still kingdoms when Jesus was around. You got the big Roman kingdom there. They had Caesar as their king. And this little tiny Jewish sect in there who was surrounded by him, and they were waiting for a king like Jesus to overthrow what the Romans were doing. Except Jesus doesn't bring an army. He doesn't have walls. He doesn't have a moat. I don't think he even has a flag. Can you imagine a Jesus flag? It'd be kind of sweet. <laughs> Jesus flag, just his shining face like this. Bam. I claim Switzerland for Jesus. <laughs> I don't know why I chose Switzerland. They'd, maybe they need Jesus. I don't know. What's Connecticut? Bam. <laughs> so Jesus doesn't have all the normal things a kingdom has. No army, no troops, no subjects, no walls, no flag, no supreme bumper sticker motto. I know, it's sad. Everyone needs a bumper sticker motto. He thought about what would Jesus do, but I don't know. He's just like, I would do what me do. <laughs> So he doesn't have all the things that a normal kingdom does. But the thing is, God's kingdom is a reign. It's not a geographical place. Some people think it will be. It's not a geographical place. It's not somewhere on the earth. It's not a place in time. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, what he is really saying is, God's in charge. God's in charge now. God is in charge of your life if you allow him to be, but God's in charge of everything. And one day he will fulfill all that. So when he talks about the parable of the sower, and he says some people will be multiplied by the seed that's planted, he says the kingdom of God is within you, and if you follow me, you could be a part of my kingdom. And if you follow me, the stuff that I plant in you, it will grow and multiply, and you will help expand my kingdom. Because someday... The king's going to come back. The king was here for a while. We killed him in a shameful, terrible manner. But his true victory was the fact that he wasn't taken. He was laid down by his own accord. And he says, my kingdom is different. My kingdom, the king dies. And then the king comes back. In my kingdom, the king lays down his life first not his subjects first. In my kingdom, things like murder, 
rape, lies, all that stuff doesn't happen in my kingdom. I have a different kingdom. And the people that are a part of my kingdom, that stuff doesn't happen to them either. And so when you go to Bible college, if you do, or if you actually just study the Bible a little bit more, you'll hear this phrase, or you'll hear something about the now, the not yet. God's kingdom is currently here, but it's not completed. God's kingdom is at work in every Christ follower who has given their life to Christ and who has said, I'm working for God's kingdom. I want to make this place look different. I'm not just working to get to heaven. I'm working to make earth look like God's kingdom. That's what Jesus is talking about in his kingdom now. And then someday, Jesus the king returns. And he finishes what he started because the kingdom's not done yet. We can help with it, but God puts the finishing touches on it. He is the one who builds it all. He just asks us to participate in very small ways. And it's great because in Revelation, when Jesus comes back, when the king comes down on the clouds, there are some things that are going to be very good for us and not so good for other people. I got to meet with a girl this, today who, who had a, a terrible story to tell me. I won't share the details with the person, but uh, you know, she had one of the worst stories I've ever heard. The things that happened to her should never happen to any human being. If nothing ever bad happens to her ever in her life, she'll have lived more horror than most people ever have. And for people like her, justice can't come soon enough. And a king delivers justice. He delivers grace and mercy on those who seek it from him, but there are some someday who deserve justice. And the king will deliver it someday. When the king comes back, a couple things are going to happen. He's going to recognize those who follow him as part of his kingdom. He's going to recognize those people who aren't followers of his kingdom, and he's going to invite them to be a part of it. And then when all that's done, the people who don't want to be a part of his kingdom anymore judgment and justice come on them. And it's, it's going to be terrible for them. But for us, the people who follow God, and the Jesus banner, if you want, we allow God to reign in our lives now. And we have to think kingdom-like, because if Jesus talks about the kingdom more than anything else, we have to think that way. We have to think, I am a part of God's reign now. I'm not waiting till I die for a change to come. I have to do something now because God has called me to be a part of his kingdom now. But I also wait for the day that my king returns. Riding on a horse, because it does happen in Revelation, Jesus rides up on a horse. Trumpets blaring, announcing who he is. Angels in the background. It's going to be a great day. And we're going to get to feast with our king at a huge table. And Jesus uses all of this stuff in the Gospels. If you've never seen this, just read the Gospel of Luke. Jesus uses that phrase like 46 times in that Gospel or something like that. He talks all about the kingdom of God and how important it is. And so I wanted to preach this message to you guys because if you haven't heard how important the kingdom of God is, you need to look, you need to take notice. Because you're either in God's kingdom or you're not. Let me pray first real quick and I'll invite the... The band, I think, is coming back up. Yes? Father God, thank you for your scripture. You know, I know it's a difficult one. Not much scripture is easy. And Lord, the kingdom of God, I guess your kingdom, is a hard thing to understand. 
because you know we don't see walls, we don't see our king, we don't see we don't we just don't think in kingdom terms anymore. We think in terms of our own house, our own street, our own little community of friends, our own family. And we forget that there is a king who is Lord of all creation, who is the creator of it all, and who all things are subject to him. We should all bow down on one knee to exalt you. And Lord, we don't make you king of our life. And Lord, the image of a king is a good one because we shouldn't kneel before you because you are selfish and you demand it. We kneel before you because you are worthy. And because you bring justice where we desperately need it in our lives to those people who do an injustice to us. You bring mercy when we need it. You bring grace when we don't deserve it. And Lord, you bring healing and compassion in the way only a king could do. That even though you are so far above us, that when you're riding by on your horse with your crown above your head, is that you see a person in need below you and you'll get down, you'll come to our level, you'll grasp us in your arms, and you'll tell us you love us. That kind of king died for us. And Lord, we, we praise you. You are worth all the glory. And I can't wait to feast with you. And I can't wait for these students to get to feast with you and to be in your heavenly court with angels singing, with endless amounts of food at your table, with all the people who'd never thought they would make it into your kingdom, rejoicing and hugging one another and crying and lifting up songs of praise and saying we're so thankful for our king. In Jesus' name, amen.